the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to What's the Score, a series solely dedicated to the support of Central Florida's small business and entrepreneurs. Donated as a community service by Salem Media Group. Now, here's Christopher Hart and Rich Jekyll. Hello again, and welcome to What's the Score, the show designed to help you come up with that winning combination for your business and execute it to perfection. Well, Mr. Perfect... The award-winning Rich Jekyll is not with us again this week. He'll be back soon, however. I am Christopher Hart of the American Adversaries Radio Show. And in for Rich again today is Lucy Polito. Good to see you again, Lucy. Good to see you, Chris. Nice to be here. Yeah, and of course, Lucy is a volunteer at SCORE. She's been there a number of years, thanks to Rich Jekyll. <laughs> right? No, it's the other way around. Oh, that's right. No, you brought Rich oh, that's in. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm and sorry. some people just don't like me as a result of that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We love Rich. Uh, He's a good guy. He is indeed. And uh, so, uh, once again, SCORE is a great organization. And it's for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs want to be out there. And if you are an entrepreneur and you're closing out your career and you just want something, a good, great way to spend your time, you can be a volunteer at SCORE because it is an all-volunteer organization. Right, Lucy? That is correct. And we're there to help. That's right. And where she means by there is literally in the Orlando Fashion Square uh, right next to Penny's and used to be between Penny's and Sears. But the easy way to get right to it is to go to the parking garage on the east. I'm sorry, the west side of the mall. Park there. Look for the vines on the wall. And they'll lead you to the source of growth, which is the National Entrepreneur Center, where there are a number of great organizations. And one, of course, being SCORE. And SCORE is, as we said, a free mentorship program. It is. And volunteers like Lucy mentor entrepreneurs, right? Yes, there are approximately 60 people in our local office. Uh, We have a variety of uh, backgrounds, and so we can help just about anybody. Over the years, how many people do you think you have mentored? Oh, wow. (laughs) Tough question. Imagine that. In 15 years, it's been quite a number of people. Uh, You know, you try to help uh, a lot of folks, and... uh, we're open from 9 to 5, and in our office, it's a walking service, so whoever comes in and whoever has an opportunity can walk in. And sometimes uh, we also make, uh, if they want, they can actually see somebody in particular because of their specialty that they're looking for, and we make appointments. Again, from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, we're there to help. And... As you said, it is free. How good is that? <laughs> That's right. Uh, the big F word, as Rich likes to say. And the Entrepreneur Center, as I said, has a number of other organizations. And as Lucy said, you can just walk right in. Or during those same hours, you can call them on the phone and you'll get a human being like Correct. Lucy. Right? Correct. We a know. great human being like me. That's right. We know because we did it on the show one <laughs> yes, day. Yes, you did. You can find that show somewhere in the archive, which is at Orlando.score.org. And the phone number is 407-420-4844. That's 
4844 and orlando.score.org. And, of course, SCORE offers great uh, seminars and programs to educate people who are starting out and educating people right on through their their uh, their businesses or even their other careers, the sales careers, things like that. Yeah, and uh, our uh, classes, that we have one class that's free that we really encourage people to attend, which is basically if you're thinking about starting a business, it really kind of... Uh, we, if you come in and you take that class, it kind of lets you know what it's all about and what's involved in starting your business. So it also gives you an opportunity to think about whether or not you really want to do this because we really go into it. So that's a free class. And then our early classes, there's a minimum fee and you're welcome to go into our website and you'll see the various classes we have. I tell you what. If you folks want to educate a person, say, college age or maybe even slightly younger, who's really thinking in terms of having their own business, send them the score first, okay? You might still want to send them to college, but if you send them the score, they're going to get a wealth of knowledge from people who have made a lot of wealth through that knowledge, all right? So that's what SCORE has to offer. And, of course, the show, we offer up new guests each week. Yes, we do. And we got a couple of new guests this week. Uh, a couple of guys I don't think have ever been on the show before. I don't remember you fellas anyway. And uh, so I'd like to welcome to the show John Woodson and Jack Abbott from Allen Dyer Attorneys. Attorneys at Law. Patent Attorneys, that's correct. Thanks, Chris. All right. Great to be here. That's John and Jack. Yes. Did Thank I get your last name right? Abid. Abid. I'm sorry. Abid. Jack Abid. And Alan, I'm sorry, John Woodson of Alan Dyer Patent Attorneys. So, uh, first of all, we always like to get a little background. So, uh, we'll start with you, Jack. Uh, you from this area? Uh, yes, I am. I'm born and raised in North Florida. Uh, went to Georgia Tech uh, for undergrad and also Jacksonville University. And uh, I'm a fighting gator. Went to University of Florida for law school. And I've been practicing here in the Central Florida area for 11 years. So, you're you're... A hornet and a gator. Yes, so I have a very passionate <laughs> the rambling uh, red. Uh, yeah, I have a very passionate hatred for the University of Georgia. Is the way I like to phrase it, yes. combined uh, with the University of Florida and Georgia Tech. Intense rivalry, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and um, John, are you from this area? I am, yes. Another uh, endangered species, the Florida native, right? Uh, I grew up in Mount Dora, just a stone's throw from here, and um, went to school there and uh, went through the engineering program at University of Central Florida and took a little bit of a detour, went to uh, New York State for a couple of years to get my law degree and then worked out in Texas a few years, but ultimately was uh, very pleased to be able to get to come back home here to Orlando and uh, to work to work at Allen Dyer. And Allen Dyer, once again, specializes in patents. Right. So we're going to want to get yeah. too deep into that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just, just want to special. That's did I get that right? Well, we would say intellectual property, which includes patents, copyrights, okay. trademarks and trade secrets. But, yeah, it's a exactly. very specialized area of the law. That's what we want to get into in a little bit here. Great. Okay. How long has Allen Dyer been around? Wow, I think it was 1971, 72, so it's uh, been quite a few years that, that we've been around and a part of the Orlando community. I see. Did you guys, when you went to law school, know that this is what you wanted to do with your law degree? I mean, because when you go to law school, don't you sort of have to specialize uh, in a particular area of law that you're going to practice? 
Not necessarily, but uh, most patent attorneys, because you need to have a, a technical background in engineering or natural sciences, when you go to law school, it's uh, you're quite apt for it, and you need to have that background. So many times you just uh, feel a natural urge to go into patent law or intellectual property. So that's uh, why many patent attorneys have hard science backgrounds. It's required uh, for much of the practice. So uh, to answer your question, yeah, when I went to law school, patent law was predominantly what I wanted to study, and I did concentrate, although a lot of attorneys do not do that. I see. So you already had to have the background. That explains Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. That explains your engineering degree, you said. Correct, yeah. So So. all all patent attorneys are required to have an engineering or hard science degree, as they call it in order to practice before the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So we have to take a separate bar to be licensed to practice patent law federally. That truly is very interesting. For instance, I did not know that. Yes. So that's so, very interesting. So, some might say we're uh, crazy to not only go through engineering school, but then law school and take separate bars. But somehow we made it, and, and here we are. V- both very challenging. Uh, they are, yes, indeed. And I would expect uh, even more so in this day and age with the expense of going through college and everything. Um, the uh, When you first got out of law school and you first got involved in this, was it what you expected? I would say yes. Uh, in particular, my practice, my practice uh, has been largely a transactional and patent procurement. So there is, it's intrinsically a desk job. So it's not the most exciting. I had no delusions that I would be the attorneys from a few good men pounding the uh, the table as I belted out my legal arguments. I knew from the get-go I'd be at a desk writing technical documents for a great majority of my time. So I was not surprised when I ended up doing that as a practicing patent attorney. What about you, John? Well, I didn't have any lawyers in my family, so I did get a bit of a uh, education on the fly as to what it meant to be an attorney, especially since I the, the first law firm I went to was a pretty big law firm out in Houston. It was a uh, very, very large firm, I think uh, seven, eight hundred attorneys, something like that. And not having any attorneys in the family to ask, you know, how does this all work? And, you know, I kind of just jumped right in and I learned a lot of great things, but I also learned the differences between, you know, working at large firms and smaller firms. And there's a lot of lifestyle choices and uh, things you have to consider uh, among different law practices. So I've, I've learned a lot along the way, but um, it, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. A little eye-opening, huh? Yes, yes. Um, before we get too far away from the, the law mm-hmm. stuff the sort of the generalized stuff um you mentioned that you have to take a separate bar exam to be able to practice nationally that's that's correct every yes. patent attorney has to that's right so, so you have to be bar you have to pass the bar in the state and a national bar that's right so when someone says they're a patent attorney that means they're a licensed attorney in one of the 50 states so they've passed their state bar but then they've also passed the US patent and trademark office bar, which is another test you have to take in order to be admitted to practice before the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, the bar exams are notoriously known as difficult. Jack, which would you say was the more difficult, the the state or the national? Uh, well, if you look at the pass rates, the patent bar is a more difficult and rigorous examination. But the uh, 
sheer environment that you have to take the Florida bar in is a it's sobering is a polite term. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's traditionally or annual uh, biannually held at the Tampa Bay Convention Center in one of their large rooms, concrete floor, folding tables as far as the eye can see, and you have proctors walking up and down the aisles, and everyone furious, furiously writing their answers, their essays, filling out bubble sheets, and uh, the stress of the whole environment is very different. The uh, uh, quite unusually, the federal government who issues the uh, deal, who runs the uh, patent bar is actually a little bit more flexible. They actually allow you to take it uh, digitally at a computing center, or a testing center, so you can do it on right. your own in a nice little quiet environment by yourself. And you know, although the test is a little bit more compli- complicated, it, the environment's a bit easier, which makes for a less stressful existence. And you get your you get your pass right your results immediately after the test versus the Florida wow. bar, which takes eight weeks, where you're wondering whether your career is going to be in a rut to start. <laughs> You're sweating bullets, waiting <laughs> yes. for that uh, result to come back. Yeah, I could just imagine you are. All right, well, speaking of waiting, we're going to have to wait a few minutes before we get on to the rest, next part of the conversation because we have to take a break. Uh, once again, we are speaking with John Woodson and Jack Abed of Allen Dyer uh, Patent Attorneys. And when we come back, we're going to find out a little bit more about what that means, the patent attorney part. And we're going to find out if they have any, you know, work that they do with SCORE. So uh, uh, when we come back, uh, we'll get back into that. Once again, don't forget, you can follow us uh, on Facebook at SCORE Orlando. And our archive is at orlando.score.org, where you can find out all the information on the seminars and the programs that Lucy was talking about earlier. So stick around for more of What's the Score. We'll be right back. Now that she's back in the atmosphere with droughts of Jupiter in her head. Okay, welcome back to What's the Score? I am Christopher Hart, and in for Rich Jekyll today is Lucy Polito of Score. And uh, you, you, you can blame her for Rich, or you can credit her for Rich, whichever side of the coin you come down on. <laughs> of course, we all love Rich around here, and we're excited to see him when he gets back. All right, and in the studio with us today, we have Jack Abed and John Woodson, registered patent attorneys with Alan Dyer. And by the way, their website is allendyer.com, A-L-L-E-N-D-Y-E-R.com, allendyer.com. And before we get in too much further into the patent attorney and all that stuff, because we'll talk a lot about that, uh, do you work in any way with SCORE? Are you associated in any way with SCORE? Well, yeah, so about, I guess it was two months ago, mm-hmm. I, I had the privilege of uh, presenting a lunch and learn session okay. at, at SCORE Orlando, and uh, that was on intellectual property, kind of an overview primer uh, to describe the differences between patents, copyrights, trademarks. A little and bit of what to, we're going to do today. Exactly right, and to answer the questions. And so that's that's actually how we got to be here today with you. Um, but we got to meet a lot of the coaches there at SCORE and um, we're – what a, it's a fantastic facility, and, and we're looking forward to being able to help out more as as needed there. And the facility he's talking about is the National Entrepreneur Center. Yes. Where they have uh, excellent classroom facilities, right, Lucy? Yes, we do. And uh, it's an opportunity for a lot of people uh, to, again, uh, encourage you to look at our website because we have these luncheon programs every other week, I believe. And we also have some uh, breakfast uh, series, and those are free. 
Uh, the lunches, there's a small fee to that. But the uh, breakfast uh, is very interesting. We have some excellent speakers also. And that's always free. And you get coffee and a bagel or a donut. I mean, mm -hmm. come on. Yeah. How can you miss that? Yeah. And with the luncheon, uh, there is a fee, but you get lunch. That's right. You right. get lunch, so, and it's a good lunch. Yeah. And so you guys uh, made a presentation there. Correct. And about how many people were there, do you suppose? Oh, it was 30, 30, 30 I'm thinking. Yeah, it, it's a nice classroom setting. Mm -hmm. So, and you get to ask a lot of questions, right? There were a lot of questions, yes. So. Uh, I can just imagine. <laughs> and once again, you can check the website, right, for those? Correct. The schedule. Check the website, and uh, we, you know, all the classes are um, indicated there, the times and so on. So, luncheons and breakfast. It's an easy website to get to, and you have the... Uh, Orlando.score.org. Correct. Okay. I'm holding, John, I'm holding your card here. And other than the information like uh, your your website and phone number and everything, uh, I see the little logo or diagram you have here, and it looks every bit like a human brain, or a <laughs> brain of a primate anyways. Is that what it is? It's, that's a computer brain, not a walnut brain. Just okay. To... <laughs> All right. And it looks like, kind of like a maze, right. more or less. Yeah, and... so that's that's actually a circuit board in the shape of a brain, so an electronic circuit you. board. That's, that's a lot of what Jack and I do. We're both electrical engineers, so we do uh, work in the electrical uh, arts, uh, we do mechanical type inventions, you know, helping people uh, secure patents for those types of inventions. Well, you know, I don't want to get too far off the, the path here, but the human body is an electrical mechanism of sorts, isn't it? Electrical biochemical, yeah. I'm yes. sorry? Yes, it's electrical biochemical uh, computer of sor sorts. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to computing power, actually, the brain is still far superior than even the most uh, complex supercomputers. So, yes. There's still hope for the human race. Yes, <laughs> for now, until AI. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, which some people are looking at uh, welcomingly and others with a lot of fear. I see you have on here uh, two sort of squares, one larger than the other, that are that are darkened. Is that for any particular reason? Is that like to specify a certain part of the brain? Well, it, in a circuit, um, so that that's what you would see if you pulled open a um, like a cell phone or a lot of computer electronics. You would see the green circuit board with all of the copper uh, electrical traces on it, and then there's other chips on there. We call them chips. They're really semiconductor devices those are the microprocessors the uh, transceivers and other things so that's what that would be indicative of yeah i got you I, I i was probably trying to read a little too much into this i thought because you're we're going to be talking about intellectual property that maybe this was the portion of the brain where the, cre <laughs> where the creativity part took place right, right. but uh, that aside intellectual property obviously is creative property isn't mm -hmm. it absolutely yeah and not only in the technical side, when it comes to in, you know inventions with electronics and uh, you know mechanical related inventions, but intellectual property also covers uh, the arts, the fine arts, the copyrights, you know paintings, um, uh, articles, poetry, all of those sorts of things would be covered by by copyright. And then also designs and things you have on products could be mm -hmm. protected uh, by trademarks for example so yes it it is all about protecting creativity yeah i wonder if uh, if we could maybe just for uh, for our audience kind of 
be more specific to, about the difference of intellectual property? I mean, there are people probably listening that think they have a wonderful idea, and who knows, maybe, you know, it's wonderful to them, but it's already been, you know, copyrighted or whatever. So maybe can you can you kind of give us a, a little definition of what all these things that we always hear about but really don't understand what it means? Right. It's so it's it's common for people to say, did you copyright that idea or did you yeah. trademark that invention? It, it, it's easy to kind of get them confused. So, sure, we'd be happy to kind of walk through those. Well, intellectual property is the umbrella. It is. That right. All of these things fall under. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And but how many things spokes are in that umbrella? It's really four main ones. Which it's are patents copyrights, trademarks, and then trade secrets. So do you want me to go ahead and talk about each yeah, one of them? if you don't mind, because I think so, we have a lot of people, certainly we have people at SCORE that come in, many of them want to, they, they have something, they have a product or something, and they want to know if they can get a patent. Right. So, you know, and I know that patents can be very expensive. They're time-consuming, and they have to have uh, samples of whatever it is they have and so on and so forth. You don't have to get into the specifics, but I'd be more interested in, getting a definition of those four uh, sections that you just mentioned. Sure. So let's let's start with patents. So patents protect um, inventions. So we talked a little bit before about circuits, for example, electronic circuits. It could be um, mechanical inventions. It could be computer-related inventions. Many, many different types of things can be protected by patents. And what's your... There's a couple of different kinds of patents. One is called a design patent, which is where you're protecting the ornamental aspects of the way something looks, so the way your design looks. And then the other type of patent is called a utility patent, which is how you're protecting what it's either made of or how it works, irrespective of how it looks. Did you want to say anything about that, Jack? Uh, no, yeah, basically, yeah, the design patent is a... Uh relatively thinner protection it provides you uh, just the ornamental design of the object and you know your your scope of your claim of your protection is actually delineated by the, the figures the pictures and the actual patent versus in the utility patents there's actually a descriptive word-based description of your invention that is used to to uh, delineate your protection which is a little bit more broader you can fit in more things into the words you can kind of have ambiguous meanings multiple meanings and that, and that's why utility patents tend to have more value in our practice, and are also more expensive to procure. Uh, and and fortunately, a lot of uh, a- applicants will get steered into design patents because they are uh, easier to get, less expensive to get, but then the protection is actually quite thin. So you're left with this: I have a patented design, but a small change might get around your patent. And versus a utility application, is just as John was saying, it's much more broad. It's a phrased description of your invention. And uh, it's typically what we recommend. So you, you would recommend that rather than getting both? Uh, you can get both, but I would just recommend getting, if you had to get one or the other, the utility. Uh, unless you're forced, and sometimes, depending on the circumstances, you may only have an option for a design pad. Those are few and far between. Uh, typically, you have the options for both. And sometimes the design pad is not appropriate because products change. Sometimes the appearance of your product will change because you ha- only have a prototype. You go to launch a commercial version of it, and it changes a little bit. Well, now you've escaped your design patent, and you have a design patent on a product you no longer 
that you're not so making the, or selling. The, the, in other words, that patent becomes use, worthless. Basically. To you, anyway. Yeah, to you. It doesn't, no longer covers your commercial embodiment, which means your competitor can copy your product with impunity and not infringe your design patent. So we always, you have to carefully, there's never, unfortunately, there isn't a, always a single answer or the same answer. It's always a maybe. Never is in law. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But it is pretty, very particular to your particular invention. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, so patents are for gadgets, for lack of a better word, right? Mm -hmm. And then you would decide for that gadget which patent is the best or if both. At least the utility patents almost always going to be the one you want to go for. Are they very expensive? So, and isn't there a search process involved in a patent? Yes. So as, as Jack was saying, the utility application, just by its nature, is a lot more involved to prepare. You have to describe everything in detail. You have to have many different drawings and annotate every part of it describe each one of those uh, features that you've annotated in the drawing. So, so just that process itself. It, so it's, it's one of the more complex legal documents there is to prepare, and you have to have a registered patent attorney or registered patent agent to do it, right? Who's, right. you know, by definition got the technical background to That we talked about earlier. So, so, right, the utility applications get a little more expensive. It's akin to a bigger, more involved legal document. Um, the, the design patents are less so. Um, they can be important in some cases and valuable, but there's not as much involved in those. So they're generally less expensive than a utility application. Do people come to you often who aren't ready for the patent process yet, but they have something that may be there eventually? Yes, although I would, I would qualify it that qualify that by saying a few years ago our, our the government changed the way the patent rules work and so the US is now what we call a first to file system it used to be that the first inventor to invent it who was diligent in seeking patent protection would get the invention but that's not how the rest of the world works so the US changed the way it works so now it's basically a race to the patent office so Yes, you need to have your invention flushed out to a certain degree, but I wouldn't want people to think that they have to wait until everything is perfected. They have every little nuance. Because of uh, that change in the rules, right. you want to it, move early now. Exactly, right. And don't you get a temporary patent? Well, I tell you what, we'll, like we'll pick that up on the other side. That's an excellent question. Uh, when we come back, once again, we'll be talking with John Woodson and Jack Abid of Allen Dyer Patent Attorneys. And if you have a question for them, their website is allendyer.com. The phone number is 407-841-2330, 407-841-2330. So please stick around for more and find out if there is a such thing as a temporary patent. We'll be right back. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to Okay, welcome back to What's the Score? Sitting in for Rich today once again is Lucy Polito. I am Chris, and with us today is Jack Abed, or I guess Jack Abed and John Woodson, and they are patent attorneys with Alan Dyer, and that's alandyer.com, A-L-L-E-N-D-Y-E-R.com. And right before the break, uh, we were talking about patents, and Lucy, you had a question. Yes, uh, I 
believe maybe rules have changed, but I thought that if you had some sort of a gadget, uh, you could get a temporary patent. Is that still in existence? You guys, any, either one of you? Yes, yes. Actually, what you're talking uh, what you're talking about is uh, Lucy is what's called the provisional patent application. Yeah. And so there's the fully there's the, the two patent applications we talked about previously: the design patent application, utility patent application. There's also what's called the provisional patent application, and just like its name take, uh, indicates, it's a provisional patent application. You file it, and you have it's a the differences differences between that and the regular application is that a lot of the formal requirements for a patent application are not there for the provisional. So it can be totally informal. It could just be a uh, inventor author document that will be filed by a patent applicant or a patent attorney, and you have one year. You get a filing date, just like what John was saying. You now have a filing date in our first inventor to file system, uh, and you now have one year to convert that into a utility application, and now you get the benefit of that original date. And where it's quite helpful is that uh, in certain jurisdictions, you can affect your patent rights by disclosing your invention, any disclosure, whether it's on the Internet, an offer for sale, or offer to license here in the United States. And you don't have enough time to file the utility application. You can go find a patent attorney, such as uh, our firm, but we couldn't prepare and file an application the same day. Usually we can't, a uh, particular utility application. So what we would recommend is provisional. So you get some something on the record with a filing date, and then you can convert it in a year or less. But, of course, you have that one year. But the nice thing about provisionals is that they can be prepared with less work than a utility application, uh, so the costs go down, and uh, also timeline can be quite short. Uh, we don't need as much lead time on provisional applications. Okay. Now, as we were talking in terms of gadgets, uh, are there other things that could require a patent, like, say, a software program or a game uh, program? Uh, absolutely, yeah. The, so the patent office is divided up into many different art units, all of which are organized around different technologies. And, and you're absolutely right. There's uh, game art units. Uh, there's software and uh, computer-related uh, art units. And those examiners typically have uh, a technical background in those particular areas where they're examining these uh, patent applications that we file. And it, it's, there's many, many different areas. A lot of different things can be covered by patents. Do apps fit in there, too? They do, yeah. Um, that's one of the trickier areas right now in the patent world for us to try, for us to try and patent. They're writing articles about it in the journals that you read, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. Well, it's any, it's, it's kind of ironic, but the patent office, which is tasked with protecting innovation, oftentimes lags behind where industry is with innovation right so <laughs> innovation is too fast well right in in government by its nature is not meant too to work slow. fast yeah <laughs> right and so that's one of the areas where the patent office and in the courts frankly have struggled a bit to try and figure out what is the line on what we're going to allow to be patented when it comes to apps and software and uh, taking a business process in implementing it with a computer that that's that's an area where there's a lot of turmoil right now in the patent world so we we deal with a lot of clients helping them through that to, to the best we can well obviously though anybody out there thinking about or developing an app 
probably should be better safe than sorry. They should definitely be guys, thinking right? about it. Right. They should be thinking about it. Absolutely. And, okay. and come talk to, to us about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, are there any other basic questions people come to you with about patents that Lucy and I are, didn't think of here? Uh, yeah, actually, common question uh, is, uh, when am I protected? When does this patent give me a right? And uh, it's commonly a, a misconception out there is that once you file your application, you're protected, and I can I own the idea. It's just like John was saying, USPTO has to examine, review your patent application, and judge whether it meets the standards for patentability in the United States. And then once they've found it to meet the standards and they allow it and you have an issued patent, only on that day of the issuing of your patent will you receive, do you have any real hard rights? And at that point, you could go and you can stop, you know, a competitor, for example, from making, selling, or using your invention, which uh, is also leads us into another common misconception. You may have a patent on an idea or a contraption, an invention, a method, a software, does not necessarily mean you have the right to practice it. Because a lot of the most patents are improvement patents. And that's another common question is, can I get an improvement patent? Yes. And in fact, most patents are improvements on existing technology. And what I say about not having the rights to actually make and sell your invention, someone may have a patent, a valid patent on the base technology. You go out and you improve upon that and get a patent on improvement. You can stop him from practicing the improvement, but he can stop you from practicing the base invention. So without a cross-licensing deal between the two of you. Neither of you can actually make the improved invention. And that brings up another point. So I invented a gadget, and let's say I get the uh, patent and everything is okie-dokie. Then all of a sudden, here comes China, and they copy my whole idea. What do I do? Well, and that is a great point, because a U.S. patent only extends to the U.S. and its territories. So if you have a product that you're going to sell in other foreign markets or you have competitors in in foreign markets you have to be thinking ahead about getting patents in the different foreign jurisdictions so basically every country you want patent protection in you have to file for a separate you have to file a separate patent application but if i if let's say i invented a toy Mm -hmm. okay and i get a patent in the u.s but china copies my toy and decides to sell it everywhere else in the world if you if you have patents in those other countries then oh, so, you can pursue them so in other words i have to get a patent in every country yes and and so that's another thing that it's important for inventors to understand is that there there's conventions and ways to facilitate getting patents in other countries but there's some timelines on when to do that Basically, the way it works is once you file your application in the U.S., we're talking about a utility application here, um, or, or it could be a provisional application. But when you file that first application, you have one year in which to file any foreign applications and get the benefit of your U.S. filing. So I could take that and file it in Europe or Japan or China or any number of other places. I think you just answered one of my questions was, do you at Alan Dyer do that? Oh, absolutely. And and so we work with patent attorneys all over the world to help people. So you help. have a network. We do, essence. yeah. So we, and it, and it goes both ways, too, because they'll have clients in their jurisdictions want who want to get U.S. Protection. patents, and they'll send it to us and vice versa. We, you know, when our clients need protection in foreign jurisdictions, we'll do the same thing. We'll send the application to them, ask them to file it, 
and then we'll oversee the the process as it goes through those different uh, countries. And Jack, a second ago, you mentioned something about crossover deals. Mm-hmm. Do you fellows uh, facilitate those as well? Absolutely. We like to. We are a full service intellectual property boutique, and licensing, negotiation, enforcement. These are all things we do at our law firm. And uh, if you do have a scenario where you need a cross licensing deal, uh, we can nego- uh, aid you in negotiating that. And uh, if you have someone who's infringing on your patent, once we've procured you one or you have one in hand already and you want to enforce it upon a, uh, a uh, competitor, we have litiga- seasoned litigators who have decades of experience uh, locally and uh, in other jurisdictions. So. Okay, yeah, that's absolutely something we can help with. All right, that's Jack Abid. We're also talking with John Woodson. They are patent attorneys with Alan Dyer. And I see Alan Dyer, you're downtown Orlando. That's correct. That's where our main office is. AlanDyer.com, A L L E N D Y E R.com, 407 841 2330. Were you, did you have a question? No. Okay, because uh, I'd like to move on to the other. There are three other main branches of intellectual property. You said copyrights, trademarks, and what was the last one? Trade secrets. Trade secrets. Let's trade. Let's let's keep the secrets for last. You're right. All right. What about copyrights? Uh, copyrights have to do. Uh, I think what I understand it would be like uh, the audio recordings, books, things of that nature. Absolutely. So it's. It's protecting artistic expression in a tangible medium. Well, what does that mean? It means, just like you said, audio recordings. It could be uh, songs that a band has come up with. It, it could be not only the written sheet music, but also the performance of that as it's been recorded. Uh, it can be paintings, poetry. Uh, it, it can even be uh, computer software. It, it's the way you've expressed your thoughts or ideas that's what copyright protects, that creative way in which you've done it. I would think that, that would, the process would be a whole lot easier than the patent process. It, it is, yes. So the copyrights are registered federally through the um, the uh, U.S. Copyright Office, which is part of the Library of Congress. And so that process to uh, register a copyright is a little bit more straightforward than, than the patent process. You prepare an application and submit it with the, the specimens of what it is you're, you're copywriting. Yeah, a lot simpler process. Well, yes. What is the benefit? Let's say I'm an artist mm-hmm. and I wrote things. Um, let's, say, well, let's think about Picasso, okay? Would he be copywriting his style of uh, painting? Would that be one of the things? Or how does that work for a painter? Well, so the copywriting wouldn't be in the, the style artist. so much as it would be in that exact work that he's done. So, you know, you, so people couldn't oh, copy it and sell per, copies right. of it. Oh, it's it, per a drawing or... It, it has to be an actual uh, physical okay. expression of, of the idea. And Interesting. It could be a poem. It could be a song. That's yeah, right. But it has to be something that, as you said, tangible, I think is the exactly. word you Exactly. Okay. That's, right. that's mm-hmm. right. And another key difference with copyrights is that... Uh, once you have your expression, artistic expression, in a fixed format, uh, I think the tangible fixed uh, uh, format, you have protection. You actually don't need to register your copyright. There, there are several benefits to doing that. But the second for you record a song or that you, you create a, a painting, that protection, copyright protection, is already uh, by common via common law uh, been uh, generated, and it's in the author of the work. Okay, once typically. again... Okay, once again, thank you. That is Jack Abed. 
And the other voice you're hearing is John Woodson. AllenDyer.com is their website. And once again, they're located downtown. And if you have any questions that we don't get to before the show's over today, certainly contact them. And their phone number is 407-841-2330. When we come back, we'll talk about trademarks and how they're different from copyrights and trade secrets. All right, so don't keep the secret. Tell everybody about what's the score and tell them all about the great organization, which is SCORE, located in the Orlando Fashion Square. And their phone number is 420-4844. Orlando.score.org is the website, and we'll be right back with more of What's the Score. Okay, welcome back to What's the Score? Once again, thanks for tuning in today. Lucy Polito sitting in for Rich. I am Christopher Hart, and with us today are Jack Abed and John Woodson, registered patent attorneys with Alan Dyer. And, you know, one thing that we're using today that really hasn't changed a whole lot since Tesla or Marconi or whoever it was that patented the radio technology, it's still pretty much basically the same, and that's why it's so very effective, because it's still around proves that it's effective it's a great medium to getting messages out to people the emergency messages informative messages and uh educational messages like the one we're engaged in here today and once again radio is still an effective way to do that and if you'd like to find out more about how you can be on radio either by advertising or sponsoring a show like this one or having a show like this one of your own please call bill files he's the station manager for this great Group of stations, a Salem Media Group. His phone number is 407-618-1760. He's been in the radio business all his life. He knows how to make it work effectively and efficiently for you. That's Bill Files, 407-618-1760. Let him give you a tour of these great stations. Four great stations here with FM simulcasting. And I tell you what, they'll reach the audience that you want to reach. 407-618-1760. All right, so... Copyrights, books, things that we just talked about, trademarks. Uh, that would be like your logo here or something, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. So trademarks are a little different than the uh, copyrights and patents. Uh, you know, a trademark is basically a word mark or a logo or a color arrangement or a look of a box that, that is, becomes so, it has a secondary meaning and association with the origin of the product. For example, Tiffany's box, the Tiffany jewelry box. Everyone knows what it looks like. It has a distinct look. You see the box, you immediately associate it with Tiffany. Uh, another good example would be uh, for a logo, the Coca-Cola logo. You see the Coca-Cola logo, you immediately associate that with the Coke brand, Coca-Cola Corporation. IBM's logo, also well known. Uh, the NFL uh, logos so are a great example. So basically, it's an association with the origin of a product. And that's where you see the little circle with like the little R in it or something, isn't it? Yes. So when you when you have that, it means it's a registered trademark. And again, we're dealing with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Uh, you file a, a trademark application uh, for your mark, whether it's a word, a slogan, a logo, or a look and feel of your box. And you uh, you wait for them to take a look at it, and they decide whether it's confusingly similar to existing products that have been registered or out there in the market. And they basically decide whether it's fair to give you ownership over that logo, that phrase. 
uh, you know, a great example uh, would be, you know, for example, there's race racetrack right there, the trademark uh, logo and name, and it was a. Uh, He's looking at my cup that I'm drinking <laughs> out of, and so racetrack, of course, being the uh, the convenience stores and gas mm-hmm. stations. Uh, real quick, I have a radio show other than this one called The American Adversaries, mm-hmm. and we trademarked that name. Was that the smart, proper thing to do? Uh, yes, absolutely. If you actually develop goodwill in that name. I mean, we, reason, we're hoping we do. <laughs> well, I always tell. People, of course, it is. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I, I always tell clients that. You know, they ask me, should I trademark my logo? I really don't need it. Or they'll ask me, do I? Is it something that's going to be helpful to my business? I tell them, all right. Would it be a problem if somebody were to come up with a similar product or something in a similar field and they used a confusingly similar name? You know, if you're a restaurant, Japanese restaurant, or Mexican restaurant, whatever your pra- pra- field of. Pra- of the endeavor is and someone shows up with a similar name and they operate in the same area and they start trying and what's going to necessarily end up happening is people will think you are them and Confused. they are you right right and uh, is that a problem and do you want to stop that and they say yes and i say well then you want to trademark they're relatively inexpensive to get in the yeah, grand scheme I remember of things. it wasn't expensive at all i pretty much did it myself mm-hmm. uh with a little help and uh, over the phone, if I remember, I mean, if there were any questions, I had just called them up. It's it's a pretty straightforward process, and that's why we tell uh, we tell a lot of our clients it's a it's an easy problem not to have. It's inexpensive, so why not eradicate it early on? And you know, but now obviously if they came to you guys. You'd handle all that for them, right? Absolutely, one stop shop. Make sure that it's done right. If there's any questions, you handle them and stuff like that. Right. Some trademarks are easier than others, as you as you and might now, suspect. One thing I kind of blew off, and I hope you're going to tell me that it wasn't necessarily so stupid to do, was I got for a while in the mail. <clears throat> May, uh, from Denmark or or somewhere else, seeking me to spend thirteen hundred euros to get trademarked over there, and I just blew them off. I didn't have the money. First of all, was that? Am I in big trouble now? Well, it it, it depends on if you're gonna. Obviously, if you're not selling any goods or anything in all, in those jurisdictions, you know it it doesn't make sense to um, get trademarks all over the world. But you can and. With trademarks, depending on if you want to do business in those right. markets. Once again, kind of back to the patent type thing, right? Right now, but but with trademarks, it's not quite like with patents, where if you don't do it by a certain time, it's gonna your rights are gonna expire. Um, trademark rights actually can build over time, and you could expand into other countries, provided that somebody's not already there. I see. I mean, with patents, if if you started making and using it here in the U.S., you would. Uh, limit your ability or actually um, you, you wouldn't be able to file a patent elsewhere. So, Okay. Once again, if you have any questions, Alan Dyer, the, the folks you want to be talking to, right? Right. And um, so that brings us to the secrets, right? I was just thinking if, if your show is successful, this other show, and you decide to uh, sell T-shirts, what happens with the, your name or the show? Right. Right. That She's got a point there, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that that could potentially be covered not only by trademark, but also potentially copyright. I mean, the design, like if you make a stylized oh, right, right. Uh, logo, uh, you know, shirt art, um, the, 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 uh, the artwork that you have on there, it could be the subject of copyright Chris, and trademark protection. There you go. There you go. So, and, and that's the kind of thing we help people with when they come in with some of these things. They may have one thought about, oh, I need a trademark or I need this. And, and and we try and help them understand, well, there's your invention or your name or, or 
your product, it may actually transcend some different areas of IP protection. And let's talk about all of them and make sure you're covered the way you need to be. Right. Okay. That brings us to the secrets. Yes. Tell us about the trade secrets. What does that mean, first of all, and who needs one? Well, trade secrets are essentially anything of value that give you a competitive advantage, you know, with with respect to the marketplace. And it's stuff that you accordingly keep secret and don't want others to take from you. Give Uh, us an example. Okay. Well, uh, we were talking a little bit during the break about this, but one of the most famous ones is the Coca-Cola recipe. Um, formula, the, I think the they formula, call it. Yes. right? Yes, it's a very well guarded secret, and it's a very well known one. Another similar one is the uh, KFC recipe uh, for for chicken. Um, so, would, would another one be the whatever makes my iPhone work here? Um, it, or is it, that more of a patent thing? Generally, though, it, those patented processes and the patented devices that go into that, it, yeah, those would be the subject of patent protection. But another trade secret could be the way you manufacture some of these different devices. So um, trade secrets are recipes or processes? Yes. So if you have a certain process of building a product, that mm-hmm. could be a trade secret because right. it makes it turn out a certain way. I, I that, take it. That's right. Yeah. So like if you're making something with wood, if you do it a certain way, it's going to get you a certain result. Right. If you figured out a way to make this that other people have not, and you get a better or more different or unique product, if you keep that secret, so others don't know what you're doing, well, that like can be valuable. Perfume, for instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, us ladies like to, uh, Use perfume, but you know they always a have a like different it when you do scent. That too. <laughs> <laughs> but there are different scents. But they always say, "Oh, this has violet, or it's got this and that." Would that require uh, a? Uh, I, is I, that a secret? That would be a recipe, wouldn't it? Yeah. So or that's a formula, a, whichever. Right? right. That's another example of a recipes or formula, so to speak, that you would you would generally keep secret. Is that the reason why? I mean, let's say they all have the same content, roses or something, mm-hmm. uh, but they're all called different. I mean, you know, they always label them a little bit different. Could they have the same recipe, let's say, but they just call them different? Um, it, you mean the same manufacturer yeah. and call it different things? Sure. I mean, you could you could rebrand a product, the same product, many different ways and sell it into different markets. And that. And that's common or, to do sometimes. Or how would you how would you protect it? Let's say uh, Ralph Lauren or and uh, Esther Lauder have the same type of perfume. I mean, somebody wants to. But they would have to have different that? recipes, right? Right. Is that would that be it? E- even mean? if they're only slightly different. Well, right. Just the difference in the re- in those little differences in the recipe could be particularly valuable if it gives mm-hmm. you just a slightly different scent that a lot of people favor one over the other. That's that's a competitive advantage, right? If more people are buying your perfume or cologne because they like the scent, well, that that could be something that this means, you keep secret. This means that if you're developing a formula or recipe, you're kind of back to the sort of the patent thing. Isn't there a search that you have to do to make sure somebody doesn't already have this out there? On the patent side, yes, that's a very good 
uh, thing to do, and we generally advise that. But what about trade secrets? No, no trade secrets. It's it's something that you keep all so, in house, and you don't. So some guy could be in his house out. right now, playing around with a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of caramel, and suddenly <laughs> stumble upon the Coca Cola formula. <laughs> it's possible. Well, reverse engineering can can be a right. big thing, and and obviously that's why you want to be protected. Is it right. expensive to, to get a trade secret protection? Well, trade secret there there really is. There's no registration or anything. It's it's what the way you protect trade secrets is to have processes in place to make sure that your employees can't walk out the door with them. That if you have to talk to somebody about your recipes, for example, that it's covered by a non disclosure agreement. So the, um, so the Coke uh, formula is not on file somewhere in a government oh office. Oh, no. Oh, okay. no. It's deep in the vaults of Coke somewhere. Speaking of that, do you guys, is it part of your job you have to go to the patent office and see what it work, how they work up there and everything? Have you ever taken a tour of the place? Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we go up there. And is we, it Washington, D.C.? It, it is, yes. Um, out, a little outside of Washington, but yeah. Washington yeah. general. Yeah. Generally, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the patent office has changed over the years, certainly since I've been practicing. It used to be all paper that you would actually have to go and flip through all of the papers. And now it's all digital. There's no paper library. Uh, it's It's changed a lot. All right. Well, we're pretty much going to have to leave it there. Once again, we've just scratched the surface. Yeah. But uh, if you have any questions at all, allendyer.com is the website. And the phone number is 407-841-2330, 407-841-2330, allendyer.com. And we've been speaking with John Woodson and Jack Abed. And uh, I tell you, you guys have a big team down there, and you guys all work hard uh, together. Absolutely, yes. As full service, as you said, and for intellectual property. Absolutely. All right. So, obviously, these are the guys, and they're, they're firm. They know what they're doing. And um, just look for the brain on the door, right? <laughs> all right. So, anyway, uh, 407-841-2330, com, And tune in next week for more of What's and the Score? And let's not forget SCORE. It's free counseling. That's right. Orlando.score.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 